0: Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to Revolution. Glad uh, to see you all here. We've got a good crowd today, um, which is very nice. And hello to all those listening online. As always, we are glad you're listening and taking time out of your life to hang out with us online. And if you're listening, we'd like to hear from you. Let us know you're listening. And maybe do an interview with us, because we're inter- trying to interview congregation members online, and let let, you, let let you know, what? Let us know what you think, and what we could do, and what we could change, and why you listen. So, please take part of that. Go to our Instagram and check it out. Um, which is what? Revolution MN? Uh, yes. Yeah, Revolution MN on Instagram. Um well, everybody, we're going to kind of continue. Usually I have a little, few stories to tell, but um, I don't have many stories to tell. I've had some frustrations with life, but uh, nothing that if I shared, it just would make the frustrations worse. So, <laughs> that's what hanging out later is for. Um So we're going to continue in the series. What what series? Basically the series of, what is Jay reading? Um, Series. I did Pete Rollins' book a couple weeks ago. And um, I, I stopped reading this book, The Folly of God, by John Caputo, because it was a little bit heavy and read another one of his books called Hoping Against Hope, which is incredible. Um, But I decided to go ahead and finish The Folly of God, and I'm glad I did, because this last chapter is really good. It's a little repetitive, and so I'm going to read some of it to you, um, because I think um, I really do believe that there weren't only 12 or, I guess, 13, if you count Paul, apostles. I believe people kept talking. And God keeps talking, and um, I believe there's people who are writing things that are important. And um, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is a collection of books and writings that were put together over time. And then a group got together and voted on what would go in, what wouldn't go in. Um, But it's like a library. And uh, so sometimes... I go to the library outside of my local library, which is the Bible, and and check out other books. And I think uh, it's important to hear what people and theologians are saying. And I think Caputo is still alive. I've seen him speak a few times. I think he's probably one of our greatest theologians uh, alive right now. Um, He's definitely a heretic. I'm not going to say that. He's not. But so am I. So... Enjoy that. Um, And, I mean, being a heretic is just saying I don't agree with the mainline understandings or the mainline agreements of what everybody has. I have issues with certain books in the Bible uh, that I don't believe Paul actually wrote and things like that. And, um, you know, and that all comes from the fact that I do take the Bible so seriously that I do love it, that it is the most important book to me. You know? So people are like, oh, how can you not take that literally or that seriously? And I'm like, because I have taken it that way so long in my life, and I've studied so much about it and spent so much time with it and wrestled with it and researched it and loved it and cared about it and wanted to know about it, and sometimes there were things that were hard to, hard to take. You know, you find out historically. You think read things within the time they were written. You also understand it's uh, in in context, and uh, you know, questions come as they do. Um, And sometimes you cherry pick, but you know what? I've also found out that cherry picking is something that is a tradition in Judaism, and. You can see it with Jesus and Paul. Jesus would sometimes quote things and then leave certain things out, and you are like, "Wait, what?" But Jesus, you just read that verse, and that you left this part out and that part out. <laughs> you know, but he was making a point. And um, Paul is notorious for it. Um, he likes using it when it works for him, um, and I am grateful for that. I am grateful because that's people wrestle with the scriptures; they learn out what it means, and they. Find different interpretations. Um, So, yeah, it kind of seems icky because we've been told don't cherry picker, don't do this, don't do that, but everybody does it. It's just some admit it and some don't. Um, If I could be the ultimate cherry picker, I would just be the Church of Galatians, and that would be the only book we ever read. Maybe one gospel. And then the Galatians, and then another gospel, then Galatians, then another gospel, then Galatians, then another gospel, then Galatians, then back again. Because <laughs> I really like the book of Galatians. I don't know if you guys understand that or know that. No, I'm waiting for January. We, every January we go through the book of Galatians. And it's really fun. Um, one time I had a co-pastor. He's like, you forgot to read Galatians 7. This is to give you the... the the, the, the type of people I hired. And I had to go, dude, there is no Galatians 7. <laughs> He's like, oh. <laughs> anyway, that's my opening monologue for my late night show. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. I'm um, going to go to Matthew. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Um, Matthew six, Matthew six, nine, and this is um, where Jesus is basically explaining uh, to his disciples how to pray and what to pray for. And basically don't be like all the other folks who just with empty pray with empty phrases or just repeat things over and over again. He's like, just simply pray this prayer. And so he says, um, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as also... As we also have forgiven our debtors, and do not bring us into time, t- t- and do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Some some say temptation, but actually the um, newer bystander is probably a little bit more accurate with its um, exp- Its uh, inter- what's the word I'm looking for? Interpretation. It's uh, translation. It's more of an accurate translation than most Bibles. Um, so sometimes it reads a little bit different. But what I wanted to look at is, well, one is just a side note is when Jesus said our Father in heaven, which he was probably saying, Abba, um, pretty radical. Because at this point, people did not say the name of God, they did not write God fully out. Sometimes you'll see people do the G D on uh, Twitter and things like that because they're trying not to be offensive to other people. Um, and Jesus just takes a step further and goes, not only am I going to say God, I'm going to call my God Father." And it, all of a sudden it was like it's a parental relationship and it became something very different and unique. And uh, that's one thing that's really cool about this prayer. But what we're focused on is the kingdom of God. So he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as is in heaven. Now, one of the things that the disciples thought and most followers of Christ thought and most people who had ideas about the Messiah thought is that Jesus was going to bring a literal kingdom. You know, and like an army of angels would come down and basically take everybody over and conquer Rome and bring the rule of God and that he would make his enemies his footstool and all this type of thing. Not what happened, still hasn't happened. Um, and I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. And we're going to talk about why. But what is the kingdom of God? But it's important to look at as earth as is as on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? On earth as it is in heaven. In um, Luke. Jesus says, in Luke 17, just love hearing you all rustle your Bible pages. <laughs> oh. Luke 17, 20, um, Jesus says, once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, And he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that you can observe, nor will they say, look here it is, or there it is, for in fact the kingdom of God is amongst you. Um, Other translations say the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God is amongst you. Not something that's going to come, not something that you're going to see. So he gives us this this, uh, like this clue, you know. The Bible is 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 that way. Sometimes I think, you know, it's like, okay, two most important commandments. Love God with all your heart, your neighbor is yourself. And then people go, no, 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 but the Bible says this, and what about what over here, and what over here? And it's almost like a trick. It's like, okay, but do you remember what the basic message was, what the most important message was? And do you know that if this person over here is saying this, and it gets in the way of that, that that trumps that, that love trumps that. And people are, oh, what? But, I'm like, no, I mean, it's just, it's a library. It's a collection of books. These are people's thoughts and times. Sometimes these letters are so particularly written to a group of people that none of us know. You know? And so it's like they say something, and they're actually saying something to the community that they're writing to to deal with a particular issue that that community was dealing with not something that he thought like oh i'm going to do it with this community and then 2000 years from now every community will have to do the same thing um, that's why context is important you know understanding what the book is uh, do you want if you want a better understanding i'm not one to always push rob bell books um, but if you want a good easy read, he wrote a book. I think it's called "What's the What Is the Bible," and and I wish more evangelicals would read this book. To be honest with you, but he did that book on hell, so they kind of gave up on Rob a little bit. But I think it's an important book to understand what the Bible is, and it's uh, a, a reason I recommend that one is because it's an easy read. I also have a book on the canon, which is very interesting, but it's very dense and very boring. Um, but that Rob Bell book is, you know, how he writes, like ten sentences in the whole book, and somehow they still pay him. <laughs> I wish I could have his career. Anyway, <laughs> fingers crossed. I'm only forty three. Um, it's a good book on the Bible, so check it out if you haven't checked it out. Um, so I'm going to read some of what John Caputo a uh, theologian, philosopher, mostly philosopher, but theologian as well, who seems to struggle with wanting to be away from Christianity but can't because he's talks about being haunted and how everyone in his profession is like, just move on. And he goes, I can't. I'm haunted. I'd like to, but I'm haunted by this. It's a specter that won't leave me alone. And I think it's it's kind of a beautiful thing because it's, it's a haunting that even I have. You know, my biggest times of doubt or if there's even times in, of me where I go, oh, this is all not real. This is just all just fiction. And then I got this haunting inside me going, mm, Jay, grace, and love, there's something to it. Loving your enemies. There's something here. You know, and it pulls me back in. Um. So does the kingdom of God need God? Is the name of this chapter. Um, so, hear this: unless the rule of God is kind, a kind of divine irony, holding in a holding sway that does not hold with violence and power. Unless the business of the kingdom of God is conducted according to the logic of the cross. Now, this is that's the important part. So, remember that. Unless the kingdom is folly from the point of view of the powers that be in the world, just as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Unless the kingdom is foolishness in terms of what counts as a kingdom in the world, like a tiny mustard seed growing into a massive tree. Now remember, that's Jesus explained how the kingdom of God was like a mustard seed. Um, But let's look at this part right here unless the business of the kingdom of God is conducted according to the logic of the cross. Now remember I said that his disciples, Jesus' disciples and most people in Judaism all felt that the Messiah was going to come and bring down an army of angels and overthrow Rome and rule and put the enemies under the footstool. And, and there's parts of in the Bible that talk about that kind of thing, but that's what they thought was going to happen. And it didn't happen. It never happened. Um, What happened was is instead of Jesus becoming this great king who ruled the world, or in our minds, a president, um, what happened was is Jesus was killed like a common criminal in a very humiliating way. And if you look at the history of... um, It's really funny, the history of, uh, of graffiti. The first graffiti, they say was in Israel on a wall and it was a picture of a crucified god and it was a mocking of christians the first the first they say the first graffiti was this mocking of christians saying basically like you serve a crucified god how absurd is that because you became nothing when you were put on a cross you became despised, nothing, zero, zilch, gross, a failure. So that, keeping in with the idea of what type of kingdom Jesus is talking about, is that, the cross. You know, people are like, well, three days later, Jay, Monday's coming, or Sunday's coming, or whatever my sermon was. You know, he rose, you know. Even if you believe in the literal resurrection, Jesus rose and hung out. And went and had some fish and popped up in a room and was like, hey, Thomas, here you go, you know, I'm here, stick, you want to put your hands in the holes, go ahead, you know. um, And then Jesus said, yo, by the way, you guys will do greater things than me, and then floats off to heaven. And then disciples being the sharp tools that they were, go, surely that was the son of God. (laughs) Really, guys, you think so? I mean, at least the Roman soldier at the crucifixion when Jesus died goes, that was the Son of God. I mean, a Roman soldier gets Jesus being the Son of God before his own disciples do. Interesting stuff. Interesting way to look at that uh, and, uh, and try to wrestle with that a little bit, okay? Um, some people even believe that Judas was trying to usher in the kingdom of God that Judas' reason for portraying Jesus was like, if I portray Jesus and he gets arrested, he's going to call down the angels and take things over, and this is going to happen. That some theologians believe that. Um, And that, again, that type of kingdom did not happen. But we still want a God that's all-powerful, all-consuming, reigning over everything, and Jesus is showing us a different type of God. I mean, look at Jesus' stories, you know. Like if you want a defense of that, it's like his you know, his kingdom when Jesus got mad was him going into the money changers and they weren't really probably actually tables, they were probably pieces of carpet with stuff, so he was like doing that and got a rope with a whip. That's about as harsh as Jesus got. That's about his, that's Jesus' army, you know. I mean, the one time one guy pulls out a sword and cuts somebody's ears off, what does Jesus do? Tells him to put the sword away. Puts the ear back on. There's Jesus' army. Right? There's Jesus, there's the kingdom. Loving your enemies, you know. What if our president was like, all right, we're going to war with whoever this country is. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring care packages. <laughs> and we're just going to throw care packages full of food and clothes and, you know, Apple iPhones and, <laughs> and uh, you know, really cool stuff. What do Americans love? I don't know. You know, you'd be like, "That's not. A- what are you talking about? That's, <laughs> that's not war. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, some of them are hungry and some of them are sick, so we're going to make sure there's medication. We're going to just drop that on them. It seems absurd, right? But that's the absurdity of the cross. You know? um, I think I have a few more sermons on that because I want to talk about why the... Jesus is suffering compared to what we think other people will suffer is doesn't quite balance out but that's another sermon for another day. So the kingdom of God is amongst us, it's with us. Um it's very different than anything that we expected even and anything different than what we actually probably preach in most churches. Um One of the other things Caputo writes, he goes, uh, the world is all about winning, even and especially under the name of religion, in which the folly of God is a move made in a divine chess game which the world is completely outsmarted. So that's what we we want. We want God to come in and kind of trick us and then take it over, you know, I watched this little... Have you guys seen the show, The Family? There's a documentary about it, but now there's like a six-part series about this group of Christian... You know, this Christian organization that's been around for like 90 years. It's like... Had their hand in our government for a long time. Very fascinating stuff. Very scary, too. And what's really crazy is... Is they only just focused on Jesus... You know, they just, their main focus was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it's funny, because I used to be a part of this group called the Red Letter Christians, and their focus was just like, oh, if we just focus on Jesus, this will be fine. You know, people want to throw out Paul a lot. I am totally against that. We've got to have Paul. Sorry for all you non-Paulinians out there. I'm a Paulinian. Boom. Mic drop. Um, so we want we want God to just as his disciples did, just as probably Judas did, just as every we want God to outsmart and come in and because the world is about winning. We want to win, we want to have power, we want to be the greatest nation in the world, we want to make America great again. You know, I'm trying to still figure out when we were so great, you know, was it when we were killing native Americans or when it was when we were slaves or when we had slaves building the country or when we were, you know, in the 50s and 60s and, and and separating black and white people from each other or when we were treating uh, gay people with AIDS in the 80s as uh, lepers. It, when were we so awesome? You know? And, and it's we all do it. Me and Pete, my best buddy Pete, we talk about the good old days when we were both in um, in New York and he had this Benefactor helping him out, and he was living in Greenwich, Connecticut, and we would go hang out, and we're like, "Oh, those are such good days." We were both miserable. I had gone through a divorce. My mother had died, and then I tried to date another girl, and she broke up with me. And Pete didn't—you know—Pete was lonely and didn't have a whole lot of friends. He was stuck hanging out with me for goodness sake. Yeah, you know. You know, you have a philosopher, you know, a doctorate in philosophy arguing with a high school dropout wannabe theologian. You know, this is who he got and um, who's an introvert and doesn't want to go out at all at the time. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and we look at those and we laugh about it because the irony of us saying that those were the good days, you know, because we were both suffering and miserable but we made the best out of a bad situation. So I think when people long for the good old days, they realize that, no, those were bad. You know, people were being... Great people were being assassinated and killed who really could have had a big impact on this world. You know, you just... We just romance times. Our brains are very funny. You know, even with my own divorce, you know, there's times where I cry because I miss my ex-wife, but we were miserable. We just w- did not belong together, you know? But but my brain chooses to remember good things and forget the bad things, and then I have to call a friend, and he goes, don't you remember A, B, C, or D? You know? Or we just have an argument about how the kids should be taken care of, and then I go, oh, okay, that's it. You know, why was I in the bathroom crying this morning? You know, because our brains are very selective of how we do it. And uh, and my unconscious doesn't like me. Um, that one went really well on another in my head. Um, I'm going to read this. The folly of the kingdom is that the kingdom calls unconditionally but without power, without the power to enforce its call or... To reward or threaten responders. Because this is called the folly of God. So it's saying Jesus is calling with no power. But we have power. We, you know, what do I love when I love my God? I love the other, I love my neighbor. How does God's work get done? Through us. God's not the President. I mean, I think that people want a God of power so bad that they're willing to like take a guy who like owned casinos and acts crazy and say he's God's man. But somehow, Obama wasn't God's man. And, you know, I mean, it's weird, you know we just want this weird power thing, and, and so we just we get misguided and we focus that the power maybe somehow lay within a politician. I mean, really we really think that God's chosen people are politicians. We all have issues with politics, Democrat or Republican. I mean, think, politician. Is there any politician that you're just like, oh, that guy is pure? I mean, honestly, to be in politics, what you have to do? Okay, I'm just saying, that's just my two cents. You can use it the way you want, but you know, I don't think our savior, everybody wants the savior to be king or wants them to be president and put our faith in these powers and what, what Caputo is arguing here is saying, no, it's in weakness. It's in the contradictions of life. It's in the fact that we all suffer. You know, what is it? Paul said, all fall short of God's glorious standard, but yet God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. We all fall short. And It's not about grace. Isn't power? Grace loving your enemies isn't power. It's absurdity, and I know it. I argue with people all the time online, right and left, and they go, "You're absurd," you know, because I'm. I, I try to tell my right and left friends, "Hey, I think we are scapegoating each other. Maybe we should stop doing that." Oh, but they, duh, 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 you know. I'm like, well, just wait for one of our guys to get in power, and then you can say, you know, then they'll say, but they, da, 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 you know, our guys, whatever that means. Um, another thing that John Caputo says, and I'm going reading, to read a lot about Caputo today because I think it's worth it, and I don't think most people are going to go out and buy the folly of God um, and read it. The prayer... The dream of a form of life that lures us on its own and, enforce, and, and is not enforced from above. The rule of God rises from within the world. It does not descend upon us from on high. The kingdom of God is within us, which, you know, or, or amongst us. It's not a powerful force in intervening from without. So if the kingdom of God is amongst us or within us, then there it is. It's not a throne, it's not a white house, it's not a castle. Um, He goes on to say, in this solocation here and now of a form of life, one that has already begun, is already here, and it already solicits us. The kingdom is found every time in the... I think this is where Pete's got his little when I deny the resurrection thing. The kingdom, of God, the kingdom is found in every time the displaced are given shelter and the hungry are fed, every time the poor are comforted, every time the imprisoned are, is visited. The kingdom comes here and now insofar as we live here and now under the weak force of its lure, even as it always is still to come. When was I hungry? When was I thirsty? When did you feed me? If we really wanted to see the kingdom of God reign, we would say, stop separating families. Don't allow kids to be in cages. And if you're going to detain them, please give them beds and toothbrushes and showers and soap and diapers. That's the kingdom of God. Um, the Christian right and left have got it wrong. I mean, the left, I think, has it a little bit more, to be honest with you, (laughs) but that's because I'm a lefty. But we still do a lot of scapegoating and go, oh, but them, them, it's their fault, and we don't want to take responsibility for our stuff. We all do it, and it's, you know. Another thing... uh, Dr. Caputo says, is the kingdom is not governed from on high but organized from within by the unconditional call to which is the response, which constitutes its own integral mode of being in the world, its own practical experience of the unconditional. And that's one of the things I want to hit real quick is the practical experience. We take our life experiences. Sometimes I used to argue with people, who uh, you know I used to be um, I used to be very literal in my reading of the Bible and and I broke out of that a little bit and I remember when I was slowly breaking out of that I was talking about a Bible verse I can't remember which one it was but I was saying you know my experience is a little different I don't I don't have the same experience but it also could be because you know I'm living in the United States 2000 years later um and I have a car, and I have a phone, and I have a, you know, <laughs> a lot of things. I, I'm going to live past 30, you know. <laughs> things are different. Um, I'm not seen as unpatriotic if I don't believe or do believe, or if I worship one God or I worship a hundred gods. You know, those were things that they had to deal with. Um, so I said my experience is a little different, so I kind of don't agree with this verse. And people just lost their mind. And it was like because, a couple people did, not everybody, but it was because I said I had a particular experience. And often we want to throw out other people's experiences because, oh, the Bible says. The Bible is not a science book. It is not a, it's not a textbook. It's not a math book. Was, you remember math books sometimes would have the odd or even answers in the back, you know? The Bible doesn't have that. Revelations doesn't be like oh, and verse three of Galatians is <laughs> that's the right answer. You know, it doesn't have all the answers. It's not. Uh, it's not meant to be that way. You know, it's not a constitution. It's not a law book, and we treat it like it's a law book. You know, like well, let's find out and let's go through it. Oh, yep, we found it. <laughs> you know. And it's not like that. It's letters and poems and and, and things that were written. You know, and it's just it's a beautiful book, and we can use it to guide our lives and be part of our lives. But it's not it's not an instruction manual. It's not it's not what it was meant to ever be. Why these? I think Paul actually. If you told Paul, the Apostle Paul, you sat down and said, "Hey, these books made it into the Bible. You know, the scriptures. You know, like the Torah, but it's like for us." He would be like. What? You put First Corinthians. You put Second Corinthians. You know, Second Corinthians is actually a third letter I wrote. Where where's the second letter? You know, he would probably be. And you take that as literal for everybody? Are you insane? You know, because Paul was always talking about how God has no favorites when he would talk about the disciples, the other ones, like the the guys who actually walked with Jesus, and he would be like, "Well, I saw Jesus." you know so i'm just as good as they are and i went to meet with them but their reputation made no difference to me because god has no favorites i mean he's saying about the 12 like 12 guys who walked with jesus you know here's a guy who was a pharisee who tried to kill christians and he's like yeah i'm just as good as those guys cuz god has no favorites you don't see us preaching that every sunday but what's the hope is there is that we're all one Oh, that's also in there. And a begging for unity. That's in Corinthians. Be one mind and one heart. Could you imagine if that was the fact? There's a kind of a cool kingdom just being united. And we all, and that's what I've been trying to do is it's like, can we all agree that way where these children are being treated, like this whole ice thing when these kids had to come home alone and their parents weren't there and they were forced to go to these um, uh, school back to their school and and sleep on the floor and eat you know and, and crying and you know I'll just say hey there's probably a better way to do that you know I I get it every country is hard to become a citizen in I my my ex wife was Swiss and for me to become a citizen I had to be married to her for five years and then there was a bunch of other stuff I had to do you know I often thought about moving to Belfast Ireland because I love it there. You know, but to become a citizen is really hard. You know, I get it. I understand some of these ideas of of, of citizenship. And if I lived in a place longer than my visa allowed me, they would ask me to leave. Okay, I get it. But separating families and hurting children should never be something that we do. If you want to make America great, period, ever, let's look how we treat the children. I I said the other day. I said, "Yeah, loving your neighbor is great, but why don't we just try loving others' children as our own?" You know those signs when you go into neighborhoods, and they're like, "Drive like your kids live here," you know, because they don't want you speeding through, and uh, you know, treat treat the immigrants as children as though you're your own. See, I have two little kids that I have about sixty percent of the time, and I would never leave them alone in my house for more than five or ten minutes to go outside, and that's about as long as I would do. And could you imagine your kids coming home and you just being taken away? Well, they should have known. Maybe they should have known better, but there's a better way to do it, folks. All right? That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is figuring out a better way to make sure children aren't Completely traumatized for the rest of their life. Because if you don't think that this is traumatizing them and giving them PST, uh, what is it, PST, PTSD, PTSD, you're, you're crazy. This is giving them PTSD. I went through much less than that as a child and I suffer from it and have to go to therapy. And do you think they're going to have the therapy available to them that they need after all this happens? Okay, I'm getting sidetracked here. I'm just saying these to me, or the the kingdom is loving people. And and looking at my own experience and then taking that experience and going, ugh, you know. I was lucky enough when my dad went to prison that my mom stayed around. You know, but it still affected me in a way that I can still feel it, that separation. (sighs) Caputo also says, the rule of God is more unruly, more disarmed, more like outright folly. I like that. I just don't have a whole point on that, but I really liked it, so I figured I'd read it. He also says, the kingdom comes by reaching out to the outcasts, sitting down at the table with the outsiders. And we all have different outsiders and different outcasts. When someone told me recently, and was was arguing with me, and it was a very left wing person, and, and telling me, "Well, if I have to, you know, love the others and not love my neighbor as myself as much, then I am willing to do that," and I went, and he meant the others as the children and the things we want to do, but I meant, but at the time I go, but those children aren't the others to you anymore; they're not the least of these. Right now, the least of these are your conservative brothers and sisters. It changes. Because you've just told me that, that you'd rather put them on the end, at the end of the list. Guess what? You just put them on the end of the list. Guess what Christ has called us to do? To love them. To try to sit down at the same table and reason together. We've don't, we have forgotten how the, the art of the argument. We just go straight to war with each other now. Um, the kingdom comes by reaching out to the outcast. Who is your outcast? Sitting down to a table with the outsiders. Kurt does a lot of that. He always has taken me to crazy places to go meet with people of different faiths and different ideas and different thoughts. And, and I'm going like, oh, we're going to go to this. I'm going to meditate with this thing. This is going to be exciting. Thanks, Kurt. Um, <laughs> it's always good. But, you know, thank goodness. Because that's, uh, it's, it speaks to me as a pastor. I'm going like, oh, you know, oh, my gosh, you took care of this one guy who was just like lost in the city and out of his mind. And I'm going like, well, I wouldn't have done that. I would have been like, mm, police, <laughs> come pick this person up. Or more likely, I would have been like, good luck have a good day, eat well, see you later, you know. Um, I've got kids to worry about. So the kingdom comes by reaching out to the outcast, sitting down at the table with the outsider, healing the lame and making the blind to see, driving out the the demons that possess us all. goes on to say, our task has been the folly of, The logic of the cross. Okay, you see we come back to that. The foolishness of weakness, which is the cross, which means the logic of letting God be God, no more, no less. Where we let, where we, he says in quotes, let means that this is not our doing. And be means what is unconditional without being. Up to now, This has meant letting God of high and mighty theology weaken into the poetic of the event that is harbored in the name of God. I'm almost done, I promise. Um, This is a longer talk than I've given in a while. Um, The kingdom does not require a royal agent. It does not require... Indeed, it does not tolerate a backup, a foundation, a ground, a cause, a telos, which I don't even know what that means, an economic system, all which would undermine it. The kingdom is folly of the unconditional. The folly it's kind of that unconditional in another way of saying I like I prefer like love, the, the, the god of love. Uh, Caputo is choosing his words extremely, in partic- extremely particularly because he's a philosopher. But the unconditional of folly, of a call that emanates from the face of the strange, from the bodies of the leper, and the needs of the poor, and imprisoned. The folly is that it is sustained by the and nothing more. He's sustained by the and nothing more. Because anything more would be too much—a power play that would overwhelm its delicate network. A way to win, which shrinking the, a way to win, which is shrinking the kingdom down to rewards for good behavior. You know, so we turn it into this monetary exchange. Tillich says probably the most time, the closest Mother Teresa has was in the kingdom of God is probably when she was in her most moments of doubt. Because when she doubted God, she didn't stop. When she was like, oh, there's no reward in heaven because I don't believe there's a heaven right now, she didn't just say, oh, I'm not going to feed these kids anymore. She continued to do what she felt was necessary and meet that need. And he said, there's the kingdom of God not this idea that if i do all this i'm going to have a big crown in heaven with jewels or i'm going to have this big house or all this internal life or all this kind of stuff it's not about an exchange when we make it about an exchange of things it cheapens things if you really want a life changing experience you know go visit somebody in prison or you know when i was a kid one of the things that really sh- shook me to the core was after we lost, my parents lost everything, had this huge scandal. Everything was upside down. And then my parents had decided, I guess they were we were going to a church. I don't remember, but they found out this really needy family. And my dad goes, okay, we're going to the toy store. We're going to buy some toys, but not for you. And I was like, what? And um, he's like, yeah. And then they bought turkeys and all this stuff. And then my parents took me to this really poor part of the neighborhood and took me to this house. And we gave Christmas to this family that had nothing. No TV cameras nothing ever shown i don't even know if i brought it up to my dad if he would remember um and as an 11 12 year old kid that changed my life forever seeing how grateful this family was they didn't have any barely had any food in the house we brought food and toys and bicycles and all this stuff you know and our lives were just horrible at this point everything we knew was done and my parents were the laughing joke we couldn't walk halfway down the street without someone yelling out something really horrible and here they were doing this and I'm going wow and I just remember we were, when we were driving back I was like that was really amazing because I was really shocked because I was like I didn't think this was going to be fun I was like oh we have got to go to these strangers house because I was already an introvert at 11 and we've got to do all this stuff and oh it's going to be weird and we're going to be interacting and it's going to be dirty and it's going to be this, you know and then I left a changed person human being for the rest of my life that, to me, is the kingdom of God. Um, and that's very small. The rule of God cannot mean the rule of an omnipotent sovereign power, but an unruly and unroyal rule of a weak force, a certain sacred impotence, a divine folly. The rule of the kingdom does not con- constitute a hierarchy but a sacred anarchy. That's pretty crazy, right? Because we want to set up a hierarchy, don't we? And it's saying, no, it's a sacred anarchy. After all, the icon of the God in the kingdom of God is uniquely, no, is an unjustly crucified man. Okay? That's our icon, is someone who was killed Unjust. There's your icon. Who forgave his executioners and whose disciples scattered in the moment of maximum peril. 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 Thank you. I've got the word right there, but it's just not coming out of my mouth right. Peril. Peril? So our, our, this is our icon an unjust crucified man who's who forgave his executioners and whose disciples scattered in his the moment he needed them most there is no greater folly than that says john caputo one of the last things i Two of the last things, three of the last things I marked. One of the things that Caputo says is, "Made the kingdom come is a permanent prayer that gives the actual world no rest. The kingdom is folly of an unconditional call, a call to live unconditionally, to offer unconditional mercy, hospitality, and forgiveness. It's pretty good stuff, right? I mean, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff. Um, is was that the last page? Is this the last page I'm reading? it is. I'm gonna read a part that I didn't mark and hopefully it won't throw everybody off. Um, that is what I mean when I say that the existence of God is upon us, and this is why God's needs the kingdom of this is why God needs the kingdom of God. We are the ones whom God is waiting for. the ones who have been expected to fill up what is lacking in the body of God, to pick up where God leaves off. We are the ones God needs to supply the insistence of God with existence, to make what is being called for in the kingdom of God come true. We're the ones that are needed. That's why the kingdom is within us and amongst us, because it is us. That's my talk today. Thanks for listening. Um, Real quick, uh, for those online, if you'd like to support revolution, revolutionchurch.com. There's a big support button there, and uh, you can hit that. We're a nonprofit. Um, So, uh, Caleb, would you mind passing your hat? Um, we survive through your donations and um, that's how we make rent and pay the bills so if you'd like to give thank you if not thank you we'd obviously rather have you than your money so no worries there Um, but if you believe in what we do we really could use that support anyhow thanks so much for listening and uh, talk to you next week